We are at the onset of a new sermon series called In Christ, and it is an exposition of St. Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. This series will be our focus for the remainder of ordinary time leading up to the season of Advent. And as we give our attention to the epistle of Ephesians over the next few months, my goal is that at the end of this series, you will have a full understanding of the following three things. The blessings you have in Christ, your position in Christ, and what it looks like to live life in Christ. And these themes follow the natural structure of the Apostles' writing. As you will see in chapters 1 through 3, St. Paul expounds upon the indicatives of the gospel, the reality of the gospel, the things that Christ has accomplished, the things that God has done. These chapters focus on our blessings in Christ and our position in Christ. Then in chapters 4 through 6, the apostle speaks to the imperatives of the gospel, the response that we should have to the gospel the response to what Christ has done for us. And these are the chapters that address how we are to functionally live in Christ. Last week, as an introduction, we identified the author of the epistle as the Apostle Paul. We concluded that his audience was the church and Christians in the region of Ephesus. And the occasion or the reason for his writing was not to address any particular problem or concern, but rather to encourage and admonish the Ephesian Christians in their faith and practice. Or in other words, his goal was to give fuller insight into the indicatives of the gospel, what Christ had accomplished for the Ephesians, and then to give instruction concerning the imperatives, how they were to live in light of Christ's work for them. This morning, we are going to begin looking at our blessings in Christ as outlined by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. And there are three blessings that we have in Christ to consider this morning. First, the blessing of election. Second, the blessing of adoption. And third, the blessing of redemption. These three blessings are part and parcel to the salvation that Christ has accomplished and secured for us. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. I'm going to read our sermon text and then pray. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace, 
with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Would you bow your head with me as I pray? Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would illuminate your holy word. Give us wisdom and knowledge to rightly understand these precious doctrines, election, adoption, and redemption. I pray this by the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, let's begin by considering the first blessing, the blessing of election. Look at verses 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. If you are new to All Saints Church, you may not be aware of a helpful tool on our website. If you visit allsaints-church.com forward slash book of confessions, you will be directed to a page listing our creeds, confessions, and catechisms. And I'm making note of this because as I speak about the doctrine of election, I'm going to reference one of our doctrinal standards, the Canons of Dort. And if you have an interest in knowing more about our church's theology or more about the doctrine of election, our book of confessions listed on the church website is a really great place to start. Again, you can find our doctrinal standards at allsaints-church.com forward slash book of confessions. With that being said, here in verse 4, the apostle Paul speaks about God choosing, choosing us. And the term chose and its derivatives are synonymous to the verb Election, And so when we talk about the doctrine of election, we are talking about God exercising his free will in making choices. So point one and article seven of the canons of Dort define election this way. Quote, election is the unchangeable purpose of God, whereby before the foundation of the world, he hath out of mere grace, according to the sovereign good pleasure of his own will, chosen. End quote. So then, election is a sovereign, eternal choice and decree of God. Here in verse 4, St. Paul is stating that God has chosen the Ephesian believers in Christ before the foundation of the world. And his electing was to a particular purpose. That they, and you and I by extension, 
would be holy and blameless before him. In other words, before the foundation of the world, God chose that all Christians, all believers, would be justified, sanctified, and glorified. That includes the Ephesians and you and I who are here today, by grace through faith, believing in Jesus. What is important to understand this morning is that the Apostle Paul is stating that this is a blessing we have in Christ. The doctrine of God's election is not something that we should reject or ignore or even despise. Instead, we should understand it as Paul has defined it, as a spiritual blessing in Christ that is to be embraced. As a pastor, I have heard two popular arguments against the blessing of election that are somewhat common. The first is an argument that arises from terrible textual analysis and exegesis. In fact, the position is in such error that I don't feel comfortable attributing analysis and exegesis to it. However, the argument goes like this. St. Paul is not talking about God choosing people here in verse 4. But rather, before the foundation of the world, God chose that the church as an organization and establishment, would exist and be blameless and holy. There are two simple objections to this claim. First, if Paul is talking about the church universal, then he is still talking about people. Because as you've already heard me say, the church is not made up of buildings and structures, but rather the covenant people of God. That is the church. So this idea that Paul is not talking about individuals really doesn't hold up, logically speaking. The second objection to this claim deals with the text in its original Greek vocabulary. The Greek word that is translated as us is a personal pronoun in the accusative plural voice which means that Paul is not talking about an establishment or organization, but rather individuals, people. And furthermore, if Paul wanted to talk about the church universal or talk about the church as an establishment, he had the language available to do that. But instead, he employs the personal pronoun. In a narrow sense, he is talking about God choosing the Ephesian believers in Christ before the foundation of the world. And more broadly, this encompasses all the saints throughout all of history, including you and me. So that's the first argument that seems to be common against the blessing of election. But it really doesn't hold up to any sort of textual analysis. Paul is clear. God has chosen people individuals before the foundation of the world, that they should be holy and blameless before him. The second argument against the blessing of election tends to come from a personal awareness of one's own sin. People who reject the doctrine of election often do so by saying things like, 
God wouldn't choose me. I'm an awful person. Or why would God be thinking of me before the foundation of the world? I am no one. And these sentiments and others that communicate similar ideas like it are not far from the truth. All of us are sinners. And no one here is worthy of God's choosing and election. But that is what makes the election of God such a blessing. God, in his grace and mercy, chooses to save sinners by no means of ourselves. No one has ever been saved by their good works, their skills, their abilities, or station in life. No one was ever saved from sin, Satan, and death because they were popular or important. No. Election is an indicative of the gospel. God works and chooses us unto salvation. We do not work or choose ourselves unto salvation. Election is the grace of God. Point one, article nine of the canons of Dort say it this way. This election was not founded upon foreseen faith and the obedience of faith holiness, or any other good quality or disposition in man as the prerequisite, cause, or condition on which it depended. In other words, God has chosen us not because we were holy and blameless or that we had the possibility of becoming holy or blameless. Instead, God chose us so that he would make us holy and blameless before him. The blessing of election communicates the idea that God will, by the work of Christ, make us holy and blameless. Or as I stated earlier, God will justify, sanctify, and glorify those he has chosen. And this, this blessing of election... The work of God choosing according to his good pleasure and will gives us the ability, creates the context for us to be honest about our sinfulness and recognize that God is the one who saves us and not ourselves. Furthermore, this blessing of election moves us to a posture of praise and worship towards God for His grace because we are totally undeserving of His choosing. Also, this blessing of election instills in us humility. It informs us that there is nothing good in us apart from Christ. The choosing of God was not based upon anything good in us, but solely God's grace. And so election is truly a blessing we have in Christ. And this morning, it is a doctrine that we should embrace as such. Let's consider the second blessing that we have in Christ. Adoption. Look at verses 5 through 6. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself 
as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In no clearer terms is Paul talking about individuals. It is people, the Ephesian Christians, you and me, Paul and the other apostles, whom God has predestined for adoption as sons and daughters through Christ. Spiritual adoption is the work of God in which he makes us alive through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit and gives us the gifts of faith and repentance in which we forsake our sin and believe in Jesus Christ. This work of the Spirit applies the righteousness of Jesus to us in which we are justified. We are declared not guilty before God. Furthermore, we are not only declared not guilty, but we are then placed in the family of God as a son or daughter. And it is our union with Christ by grace through faith that makes us members of God's household. And as a son or a daughter of God, our position is fixed. Once God places us in his household, our seat at the table is permanent. And this is the promise that Jesus gives us in John chapter 6. He will not lose us, nor cast us out. In fact, this adoption was predetermined. It was predestined. Before the foundations of the world, this adoption was fixed in Christ. Adoption is truly a blessing from God, and it is tightly knit to the blessing of election. You see, you and I had no choice in our physical birth. We did not choose to be born. We didn't choose who our parents would be. We didn't choose when we would be born, or the timing, or the place. In fact, you and I were completely passive in our physical conception and birth. It's something that happened to us. Likewise, as God chose us and predestined us before the foundation of the world... You and I were passive in our spiritual birth. We did not choose to be spiritually born. We didn't choose when or where, the circumstances. Instead, according to his own good pleasure, will, and grace, God chose us. And not only did he elect us, but he chose to adopt us as his son's And daughters. And as such, the Apostle Paul says, he did this in love. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons and daughters. The position of son and daughter in the household of God is fixed, and it's one of receiving the love of God. Personally, I believe adoption is such an important doctrine. Because it speaks to much of our identity. Commonly in churches, people have a proclivity to posture in a way that makes it seem like they have it all together. 
They don't tend to be transparent or vulnerable about their sin or their need for God's grace. Church people frequently point to the sins of others as a means of making themselves look better. Or they attempt at justifying their own actions by pointing to, quote, greater sins. Often, church members end up in competition with one another, trying to showcase their skills and abilities above and over other people within the church. And if not in competition... People regularly use their skills and abilities as a means of acceptance with God and with others. Therefore, they tend to do things like use their Bible knowledge, or the number of children they have, or their singing ability, or their piano skills, or the cleanliness of their home, or their knowledge of Latin and physics all as a means to establish their significance within the church. And all of these behaviors are unhealthy. And they stem from a lack of understanding about one's identity in Christ as a son or daughter of God, whom he dearly loves. Now, before I say anything more about the Father child relationship. I recognize that not all of us have had the privilege of knowing our fathers or have had fathers that we would want to know. Personally, I come from a blended family. My sister and I have two different dads. And I have an extended family members who grew up not knowing their dad. And others who have seen their dad walk out on them. But even in these scenarios, for those of us who don't know our fathers or would care not to know our fathers, we still have ideological longings for a father who would love us and care for us. And if I'm describing a piece of your story... You and I both know that you've conceptualized in your mind, you've dreamed about what it would be like to be loved and cared for by a good father. With that being said, our Heavenly Father is good, and His love for you is not based upon your performance. My sons are genetically my children, and their status is fixed as such. Regardless of what my sons do, good or bad, they will always be my children. If they disobey my voice, they don't lose some of their genetic makeup and become less of my children. And the opposite is true. When they obey my voice, they don't gain additional genetic composition and become more of my children. Likewise, when we spiritually experience the new birth and become the sons and daughters of God, our spiritual status is fixed. Regardless of our level of skills and abilities, regardless of what we do or don't do, even when we obey 
we don't get more of an adoption. And when we sin as the children of God, we don't lose any of our adoption. And that is because our adoption is fixed in Christ and it was predetermined, predestined before the foundations of the world. Therefore, because of the blessing of adoption, because of this blessing, you and I can be transparent. We can be vulnerable about our sin. We can confess our sins one to another, knowing that our place in God's family is fixed. We can ask for help, knowing that God is not ashamed of our inability. In fact, he predestined us in love. God knew full well who he was adopting. Because of the blessing of adoption, we also don't have to pretend that we've got it all together. We can be honest and admit that we don't know everything. And that's okay. Because regardless of our intellectual capacity, our intellectual prowess, our knowledge, our understanding, whatever our level may be, God still loves us. Also, we should recognize that our gifts and abilities do not give us a place of greater significance within God's family. Rightfully understanding our adoption as something that is fixed, our place in God's family was predetermined, and we don't lose our place, you and I can recognize and live in the reality that we don't hold a higher place of importance within the church because of our gifts or abilities. So then, Instead of using our skills or what we know as a means to try and impress God and others, the blessing of adoption frees us to pursue knowledge, vocation, and status purely on the basis of their value and usefulness. If we are generally interested in certain disciplines, then we are free to pursue them. But when it comes to our spiritual standing with God, mastery of those things does not make us more significant than anyone else. And if you are here this morning and you feel that you need to improve yourself, you need to grow and mature and learn new things, then do that. Pursue new skills and abilities, but do so for the value and usefulness of those skills. Do not do it to earn acceptance or significance within the household of God. The pursuit of knowledge should be a pursuit of God, not a pursuit of your own self-justification. The pursuit of excellence should be a pursuit that results in the glory of God, not your self-promotion. The blessing of adoption is A great blessing. It's a good blessing. Because our Heavenly Father is both good and loving. Therefore, this morning, we should embrace the doctrine of adoption and fully realize our standing in significance in Christ that is fixed in love before the foundations of the world. Let's consider the third blessing. Redemption. Look at verses 7 through 10. 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The Apostle is telling the Ephesian Christians that Christ is not merely a subsequent means to effectuate a decree of salvation. Instead, salvation is in Christ and through Christ. Mysteriously and miraculously, being conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, being God the Son, the second person of the Trinity... Jesus took on human flesh and became the God-man. He lived a sinless life for you and me in our place, procuring real righteousness for us through his obedience to God the Father. Jesus then suffered and died on the cross in our place. As our substitute, he suffered under the wrath of God and absorbed the penalty you and I deserve for our sin and rebellion. It was by the shedding of his blood that our sins have been atoned for and forgiven. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose again in bodily form, defeating sin and death for us. And all of this, the Apostle Paul says, was done according to the riches of God's grace, which he lavished upon us, whom he chose and adopted. The Greek word that is translated as redemption can be defined as emancipation, liberation, or procurement by payment of ransom. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, we read that Jesus procured possession of the church by his blood. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, we read, We have been bought with a price. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12 says that Christ secured an eternal redemption for us by the means of his own blood. And Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 depicts the following scene. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Christ has both atoned for sin and redeemed us by his blood. Through his work of atonement, our sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus, and we have been saved from the penalty of of sin, spared from the very wrath of God. And through his work of redemption, Christ has purchased us by his blood, liberating us from the power of sin. Our redemption in and through Christ is truly a blessing to be embraced this morning. Here in Ephesians chapter 1, 
The Apostle Paul says that election, adoption, and redemption are all blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus. Furthermore, Paul's emphasis in the structure of his writing is noting that these are things that we have not accomplished. The point that he's making to the Ephesians and to you and I this morning is that these are not things that we have done. We didn't elect, we didn't adopt, and we didn't redeem. All of these things, all of these blessings are the work of Christ on our behalf. We didn't contribute anything to our election, nothing to our adoption, nothing to our redemption. And so, here in these verses, the Apostle Paul begins to do the only thing that is appropriate for us to do in response to God's grace. Here in these verses, the Apostle Paul says this, To the praise of His glorious grace. This is the immediate response to the blessings of that are ours in Christ Jesus. It is praise and thanksgiving, worship to a God who chose to love sinners like you and me. To God be the glory. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Would you bow your head with me as we bring our requests and petitions to the Lord? Heavenly Father, we are delightful to learn. We are delighting to learn that you have blessed us through election, adoption, and redemption. This is the work of Christ Jesus poured out upon us richly in grace. And Father, we are grateful for this. Father, we pray that you would help us to live in light of this reality. Instead of posturing or trying to earn our way into some significant status within the church or trying to earn your love, I pray, Father, that we would rest in the knowledge of what Christ has done for us. We would rest in your choosing, in your adopting, and your redemption, predestined before the foundation of the world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers.